At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through this three-week series, we are turning to the biblical book of Isaiah to discover how God's holiness, forgiveness, and love compel us to share Him with others. We'll come face-to-face with whatever is keeping us from answering God's call, as Isaiah did. Send me. What would compel a person with growing influence, a growing platform, growing notoriety to give it all up and to live and work in relative anonymity? I mean, what, what would it take to move someone who is finding just the rocket ship of career success take off, experiencing financial windfall like never before, even perhaps gaining fame and notoriety? What would move them to leave it all behind and do something incredibly difficult and even at great cost to themselves? In the late 19th century, one of the world's emerging painters, her name was Lilius Trotter, she found herself on the horns of a dilemma. Her her teacher and mentor had noticed that her painting and her her craft in painting, her skill, was, was beginning to suffer. Her paintings weren't just turning out as good as they had been, and And they were suffering because she had been giving less time to painting and honing her craft and more time to increased involvement in serving the poor and the needy through a local ministry. In the midst of that diminishment of her talent and the increase of her her ministry, her mentor, who was okay with her serving here and there but wasn't really a fan of her talent going to waste, he pulled her aside and he, and he said to her, and he wasn't speaking metaphorically, he said to her that if she, she needed to make a choice and that if she would devote herself completely to her art, she would be, and this is his words, she would be the greatest living painter in Europe and do things that would be immortal. Yet, she was compelled to turn away from a career in art, a career full of fame and fortune, and turn to a life of hard work and austerity in ministry. Now, why in the world would she do that? What would compel her to do so? We've spent the last two weeks in this series called Send Me, when God compels us to go in the text of Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to conclude our series here this morning. We're going to look at the result that followed from Isaiah's vision of the holiness and authority of God. And we've been asking over these last three weeks, what are the motivations? What what should it be that that fires us up to go and to care and to invest in global missions? And I I just want to share that our hope and prayer is that we would have these motivations in our own hearts and that we would go and invest and care and be involved in and give ourselves to the work of God in, in the world globally like never before. And so we've seen several motivations. First of all, we've seen the motivation of who God is, the holy and glorious, all-majestic king, and his purpose is that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. Last week, I brought it home a little bit more personally to us, that a motivation that we would have to see the gospel go to the lost through global missions is because of the forgiveness and the grace that we have received by God through Jesus Christ, because of what he's done in us and for us. On the cross, our guilt was taken away and our sin was atoned for. How would we not want everyone to experience and to get in on that? And here this morning, we have one more reason. 
these last couple of verses in verse 8 and 9, Isaiah receives this vision of God and he responds to God's call in his life. And the motivation that we have for being involved in and investing in global missions is simply because God says so. It's, I could just say, okay, why should we care about global missions? Why should we give? Why should we send? Why should we invest our lives? Why should we pray? Well, friends, it's because God, God said it. God said we should do it. Amen. Let's go, right? Shortest sermon you've ever heard me preach. I got to unpack it a little bit more. At least I think I do to help you see this. But I want to challenge us to see again who God is and to remember what he's done and for us to obey his word and his calling in our life. So the final motivation that we have for being invested in and serving and going and giving in global missions is because God's calling compels us to go. Because God himself calls us, compels us, and sends us to go. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let me, let me dive into two things here that we can see and know about what this calling looks like. First of all, it, it requires for us to be listening for God's calling. In many ways, it's mysterious. We're like, okay, well, what should I do? How should I serve? Where should I go? How should I give? Like, who should I pray for? Like, what does this look like and what does this mean? And it requires for us to have a heart and a posture of listening to the Lord. To actually hear his voice say, go. Now, let me br- br- briefly recap what's happened here in Isaiah's story. The stability of the kingdom of Judah is up in the air. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. Uzziah was the the longest tenured king in all of Judah, 52 years on the throne. Prosperity, prominence, and security were hallmarks of his reign. They They were the studied facts of the nation of Judah at that time. But Uzziah dies. He's not on the throne anymore. And the tension and the anxiety that comes, that we feel every four years when we vote, like Israel was feeling that once again, like what is happening? Who's going to be the next king? How's this going to go for us? What's the future look like? Isaiah gets a profound glimpse into God. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. As the, as the curtain of heaven, as it were, peeled back, Isaiah there in the temple sees the Lord in his sovereign majesty, sees the Lord sitting upon a throne where, where the governments and nations of this world are, are transient and fluid and one day here and another day there. No, there's the Lord, stable, fixed, firm, sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning over all things. There's not one square inch of the universe, as some have said, that he doesn't say is mine. Stable in his authority and his rule, high and lifted up. And Isaiah sees this this vision of the Lord. He sees the Lord in his resplendent glory. And then he hears The angels around the throne, attending to the throne, speak out and they call one to another and they proclaim the nature of God, who God is in his very essence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. There this this cacophony of praise to the Lord declares his holiness, his unique set-apartness, his moral purity, excellence, majesty, dignity, and worth. There is no one like the Lord, 
high upon his throne, sovereign over all things, glorious in his holiness. Isaiah gets a glimpse of the Lord. He sees him. He is rocked to the core. There in the presence of holy God, as the temple shakes, as Isaiah's heart shakes, he cries out, he descends from seeing God to to seeing who he is, and he's like, these two things are incompatible. I'm a sinner. Woe is me. I am lost. I'm ruined, he says. I'm undone because I've seen the Lord. Now I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in a people in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah sees the Lord, the sovereign king over all things. He hears the holiness of God proclaimed. And he looks at himself and he says, I'm I'm a rebel. I'm impure, I'm unclean. I should be consumed by the judgment and wrath of God. And so should all of we. And yet God descends to Isaiah and sends down his grace and mercy. An angel is sent to take a coal from the altar of sacrifice and to touch the very place that Isaiah's iniquity exposes itself the most. He says, my lips are unclean and I live among a people of unclean lips. And the angel takes the coal from the altar of atonement and sacrifice and touches Isaiah's lips to purify his lips and to cleanse his lips and to cleanse his heart and his life. And he proclaims, God, God says through the angel over Isaiah, this coal, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. By, by the virtue of the sacrifice on that altar, your, your guilt has been removed. It's been pushed outside, taken away. Your slate is clean. You are forgiven. And by, by the virtue of that sacrifice, the, just, the justice of God, the righteous requirement of God has been dealt with as well. Where the wages of sin is death, that substitute has stood in your place, Isaiah, and you and your sin are atoned for. You're mine. Now, this is a movement of God revealing his holiness, exposing Isaiah's corruption, and seeing God meeting that corruption with his grace to heal and to forgive, all for a very specific purpose. Isaiah, God has a goal for Isaiah in mind. He has a calling on his life. And that redemption leads to God's calling of Isaiah. If you notice here in the English Standard Version, right above verse 8, there's a little heading. The heading says, Isaiah's commission from the Lord. It just gives a description of what's happening next. Here we get this calling from God and God now sending Isaiah with a purpose. He has a mission in front of him. The atonement has brought reconciliation and now because Isaiah and God are reconciled to one another because there's relationship, because Isaiah now stands as a clean man in the presence of a holy God, the Lord speaks. He says, here's my purpose for you. Isaiah hears the Lord. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now consider how Isaiah has seen the Lord already. King Uzziah died, but there's one seated on the throne. He is holy, holy, holy. The Lord God of hosts. 
Isaiah sees him and he says, I've seen the king. And when that king speaks with all authority, with all power, we better be listening. The king speaks and his word captures Isaiah. But it's a question. It's interesting here. God doesn't just command Isaiah, you now go. He raises the question, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, now capture the, the image of this here. God is not standing over all of humanity. He's got, you know, seven billion of us in one moment, in one place, at one time, looking around saying, hey, I'm looking for the all-stars. I'm looking for the best of the best. Actually, in fact, I'll just take any warm-blooded individual who's, you know, got half a brain and, you know, who's up. God is specifically speaking into and calling on Isaiah. He, he's got one man in his focus, one man in his view in that moment. And he asked him a question. He, he's, he's leaning in to see the response and the tenderness and the readiness of Isaiah. There's one person here with one question. God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And it wasn't because Isaiah was, was someone profound and great. It wasn't because God lacked any of that. Like God's going, man, we need, we need an all-star. I mean, we just need the green berets of prophets right now to get out there and make this message accomplished. We, we need the best in class to, to see it through. God here isn't asking the question because he lacks anything or because he's deficient. He's asking the question because he wants to see, as Isaiah understood, God's grace in his life. One scholar says it this way, having believed with certainty that he was about to be crushed into non-existence by the very holiness of God, and having received an unsought for, an unmerited, complete cleansing, what else would Isaiah rather do than hurl himself into God's service? What else could he do? He's been rescued. He's been saved. He's been loved. Now, do you see the progression here? Isaiah sees the glory of God. He's been the recipient of God's grace. How in the world could he refuse God's call on his life? Who shall I send? And who will go for us? Now, Isaiah can say, here I am, send me, because he's been listening to the Lord. He's listening and he's responding to God's authority and call in his life right there in that moment. And the Lord is speaking to us today. This isn't unique in, in many ways in Scripture. It is unique to Isaiah in that one moment. But, but we read in the Scriptures this story of God doing this other places and other times. The glory of God shines in a vision. People recognize that they are in the midst of holy God. And, and then they see and recognize the grace of God in their lives and they respond immediately. Uh, think about one young woman who received a sudden visitation from an angel in the middle of the night. The angel comes and declares, you are highly favored by the Lord, loved. And so she, she understands the grace of God in that. And the message carries a significant call that she would, she would be a mother Mary heard the voice of the Lord calling her to bear the Son of God, probably not knowing half of the stigma socially and the challenge that would fall upon her, a young virgin girl. And what was her response? Yes, 
Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Absolutely. She sees the glory of God, hears and receives his favor and love, and says, yes, yes, I'm, I'm willing to be your servant. You, you probably are not called to harden hearts the way Isaiah was as a prophet. You're, none of us are called to bear the Son of God. But the Lord has a calling for each and every one of us. We're distinctly, uniquely, purposefully made in the image of God for the glory of God. No two of us are alike, even though a couple of you look alike. And he has displayed his love for us. God in his glory has, has loved us and poured out his love for us in his son. And he, and he invites us and calls us each with a distinct calling and gifting and passion and purpose for him in this world. His calling for us is very clear as followers of Jesus today. Jesus said to us, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Scripture says we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The question is, are you listening to the call of God on your life? Are you listening to where he is sending you, what he wants to do in your life? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it in your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, he says, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either an imposter or a missionary. Remember that. Spurgeon says you either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ, or yet we can question whether you love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Are you listening to his call in your life? Are you listening? You might ask, well, how do I listen? Well, God has spoken. He has spoken. He has spoken through his word. Jesus, with all authority in heaven and earth, says, go, make disciples of all nations. Listening means re getting regular views of God's glory through his word and responding in obedience where he has placed you in this world. You don't have to go up on some mountaintop or, or find some guru or get some sort of, into some sort of transcendental meditative state. Just, just open his word and listen to him and ask the spirit to, to speak to you and then, and then confirm that through his word and confirm that with others in community, your life group members, your life group leaders, pastors and elders and leaders of the church. Confirm that through the word, but are you listening to his voice? Maybe the Lord is impressing on some of you to go to another culture, to go to another place, to lay down your life. Maybe God's just calling you to go across the street to your neighbor. The Lord is calling every one of us because of the mercy he has had on us. So are we listening for God's call? Not only are we listening then, we have to take the next step. If I, if, I, if I speak, if we, if we talk to our children and say, do this, and they hear us, but then they don't do that, what do we call that? Disobedience, right? 
The call is to listen to the Lord. Where is he calling you? Where is he directing you? How, how is he using your life and positioning your life for his glory in the world? And then to go to the world. The follow-up is the response. So Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he says, Here I am. Send me. There, there's no hesitation. There's no doubt. There's, his hand shoots right up in the air. Because of the grace of God, because he's a forgiven man who is ready to see others forgiven, he's like, yes, I want in on that. Here I am, send me. And with that, the Lord responds and says, go. Go. Now, Isaiah's message, or mission is a hard task. God sends Isaiah with a very clear message to preach, and it's a hard message. He says, Isaiah, you're going to go and preach and Instead of being a lot of converts and people responding with grace and with faithfulness to God, they're actually going to turn their hearts hard, their ears are going to get plugged up, and my judgment's going to come. You get to be the bearer of bad news. But Isaiah doesn't have the luxury of modifying his message to make it sweeter or to make it more palatable or acceptable. He has a hard word to proclaim. He'll face suffering and be rejected for it. But he has a message. The mission is the message that God sends him with. And it's true for us as well. And yet, instead of being bad news bearers, God gives us good news to go with. He sends us with good news. In just the same way, though, we don't have the right or the freedom to alter or change or modify the message to make it more fitting for today or more applicable or more culturally acceptable. Our message is the good news that God is the King, the Holy Creator, who's made all things. And there's bad news in it that we have rebelled, that we have chosen our own way, that we've decided to, to be our own kings and to be our own gods and to throw off the rightful rule of the king. Yes, we have brought shame on his name. And yet, the good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The wages of our sin is death, but the good news is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life we have not lived and suffered and died in our place for our sins and was raised to life again on the third day. Jesus is our substitute and our sacrifice to remove our guilt, to atone for our sins, and we get to proclaim to the whole world, life is found in Jesus, forgiveness is found in him. Everyone who puts their hope and trust in Christ will not be put to shame but will experience reconciliation and new life and renewal forever and ever and ever with Jesus as their king. It's good news. Jesus gives us this good news in himself. And he commissions us. He sends us to go. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isaiah got a commission to go and proclaim hard things to harden people's hearts so that God's judgment would fall. Christ commissions us, it's called the Great Commission, with good things, great news, so that people would respond and come to him. Again, are we listening to that call? And are we obeying that call? I mentioned Lilius Trotter at the beginning of the message, this natural painter, this amazing talent. And her mentor, he, he, 
He pushed her. He, he, he strove to see her work and, and do greater things. But this ministry that she was involved with, with the YWCA, was just getting started. She was working for a hostel in London that brought prostitutes, the prostitutes of Victoria Station off the streets and gave them a place to live and taught them marketable skills. As Lilius grew in her mid-30s, she just sensed that it wasn't, it wasn't exactly enough. The Lord had a deeper call on her life. And, and her tutor was saying, paint, work on that. That's the thing. Just do the side thing like once in a while. But she couldn't escape the utter call of God on her life, not just to serve in London, but to go and to serve Muslim women in the same predicament in North Africa as a missionary. She heard the call of God. She saw the grace of God was greater. And at the age of 34, she left for Algeria. For the most part, gave up painting as a career and served in Algeria until her death some 40 years later. Friends, the, the question isn't if God is calling us, it's where is he calling us? And what will we do with that call? I believe that each of us as Christians are called by God, the authority of Jesus commanding us to make disciples, to go. Just as he asked Isaiah, who will I send and who will go for us? Jesus asks us not a question, but he gives us a command. He says, go, go in my name, go make disciples, go make disciples of all nations. What will we respond in obedience? John Piper put it this way, and I think this is a helpful pattern for us to think through, some helpful options, if you will. Christians are either called to do one of three things. We're called to go, or we're called to send. And the third isn't really a calling, it's just the reality if we don't do going or sending, we're just disobedient. We can go, we can send, or we can disobey the call to global missions. Again, some of you, I believe, are called by God to go to another country, to another culture, to another people, group, and language, and make disciples there. God's purposes are global. 42% of the earth's population at this current moment have no church, no gospel witness, no scriptures. They're headed to hell for eternity because of their sin. The mission isn't over. Are you listening to God's call to go? We as a church want to help you. We want to help train you and equip you through our Global 100. We want to help send you. You may need to go for just a short term, just a couple of weeks, short-term mission trips. We're glad to see that those are engaging once again at Woodside. There's a whole host of opportunities. Again, Lord willing, in the next year, we're going to send another team to Rome to serve there from our campus. But, but there's opportunities to go in short term. It maybe means you going for a long term, for your life, for your career. Are you listening to the, God, the call of God on your life in that way? Are you praying through, responding? All of us, all of us are called to send. We're all called to support the advancement of the gospel by supporting and funding and praying for those who are going. We, the richest nation on earth, at the richest point of human history, the richest church in the world, should be working to support and to supply the ministry of those who are going in global context. We should get behind those who are going. Lilius Trotter had a support team of folks back in London that were supporting and financially enabling her to go and to serve these Muslim women. That's what this global expansion offering is all about. Uh, again, I hope this morning that you got one of these booklets as you came in today. 
We as a church, we give to missions. We send missions every year. It's part of our regular general budget that we, we budget for as a church, as a campus. But we want to accelerate our work in that way. And we want to see more happen. We've been connected with some new partners, and we want to jump in on serving and supporting them. So I would encourage you to take some time and to read through this booklet and to see what God wants to do, what, what God is doing around the world. But our goal and our ambition is to raise $250,000 at Woodside across our 15 campuses to see that accomplished. I believe that maybe even that $250,000 is among our church family here in Plymouth. We're going to take a special offering here in just a moment as an expression of this for the Global Expansion Fund. There's a QR code that will be on the screen or there's one that you can scan uh, right here in the bulletin. There's a way to text to give or you can write a check. But we're called as God's people to send, to send those who are doing the work of global expansion. So we can go or we can send. But friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, none of us should be disobedient. None of us should be disobedient to the call of God. It's not an extra call. It's not an optional call. We're all called to make disciples of all nations. And if we're not obedient by going or sending, then we're walking in defiance. We display a lack of understanding of the grace of God in our own lives and a lack of compassion for those who still need Christ. Let me close this way, and then I'm going to pray and we'll give. Actually, I'm going to let Lilius Trotter, who I've mentioned several times this morning, have the last word. She said, we ourselves are saved to save. We are made to give, to let everything go, if only we may have more to give. The pebble takes in the rays of light that fall upon it, but the diamond makes them flash out again. Every facet is a means, not simply for drinking in more, but for giving more out. A flower that stops short of its flowering misses its purpose. God's calling compels us to go. So will you respond like Isaiah, like the saints of old, and say, here am I, send me. We can't not go. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.